0: Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson.
1: Welcome. Welcome, welcome my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday on the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, Coach Brad Wilson, founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com. I am joined, as always, by John. John, how are we doing on this Tactical Tuesday?
2: Doing good, doing good. Got got a couple more bluffs uh, for... Tactical Tuesday today, um, where I turn some pairs into bluffs. Actually, I guess I did that on one of the one of the first ones where I turned to five and jammed the river, anyways. But uh, yeah, some some similar type hands to that for this week.
1: Let me uh before we dive into the hand, I know that this week has been the beginning of the elite program that I'm running twice a year. It's got I think six people in it. Um, I maybe wrote the best sales letter that I've ever written in the group. Building up to this elite program, I said, I'm posting this. If anybody wants to join, I don't really want you to join. But if you do, here's the link to pay. And (laughs) I hope you don't because it's a lot of work and I don't want to do it. Um, (laughs) I set it up for really you specifically and a couple of the other guys that I knew Probably needed it. Needed to realign, um, have something to shoot for, and so really, I'm just gonna see how the first week's been going for you as it relates to like you know volume, mindset, performance, all that stuff.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we'll start with volume, and that's uh, at least on the surface, that's the the main goal of the elites program, and kind of its its big selling point is 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 it it's uh, sold as a program to help players who are already you know pretty competent and, and have a win rate um, to just maximize volume and try to really just play as many hands as, as you can in a month and and figure out what your what your limit is. And yeah, so in terms of volume, this week has been uh, just absolutely incredible for me. I've played every single day. I think I haven't played fewer than like 1500 hands um, in any of those days. Um, I'm shooting for kind of like a high 40,000, like hopefully 50K hands this month, which will be definitely a record for me uh, at 1K and L. Um, I think previous to, uh, this month, like the biggest month I've had was like 30 in terms of volume was like, uh, like mid 30,000s, 30, 33,000. Um, so yeah, uh, just everything's going well. Uh, I love the, the mindset sessions, the, uh, what we call optimization sessions in the leads program that we have with you. I think those are, um, just incredibly helpful, way more helpful than, than I, I thought they would be, to be honest. But yeah, I'm just getting a lot out of this uh, elites program. Not that not that I, you know, having done it twice, I I, I knew I sort of came in knowing what to expect. But uh, yeah, it's been great so far.
1: Yeah, the optimization session label I stole from Nick Howard and how he labels his um, like performance coaching sessions with his guys. I think it's a, it's a good label and why reinvent the wheel. For what it's worth, you know, if you're listening to the podcast or watching this on YouTube, you can't sign up for elites. <laughs> It'll be ran again probably near the beginning of the year, probably at a higher price point than it is this time as well. Cause like I said, it it is a lot of work. But I think that like for the dedicated grinders who are finding their limits, seeing what they're made of, taking shots, trying to maximize volume. Yeah, I, I love the program because it it works. You know, I think that's ultimately what it boils down to is mm-hmm. like It works. And um, so, yeah, even though it's a shit ton of work for me, I'm proud of you guys. You're hanging in there. And uh, I think between the six of y'all, the monthly goal is somewhere around like 150 or
3: 150.
1: Oh, five of you. 150K hands. So quite a lot of volume in, in the streets for my elites. Yeah. And just like, as just like one last plug for this, I did elites
2: last year, two months in a row, October and November, I was playing 200 and L for both of those months. And then like two weeks after the second month of elites ended, I started playing one and L. So pretty, uh, pretty big jump there. And I think I definitely credit a lot of that to elites.
1: Well, I think your biggest month at that point was something like 27,000 hands in a month, like volume wise. And you pretty quickly hit like 35 K and then the second month you were like hit 50 K at 200 limit. So you basically doubled your best month in two months. And so anyway, you say plug, but I just wanted to mention the program. It's not going to run again for six months. So I forgot, I
2: (laughs) forgot that you don't actually want people to sign up. So I shouldn't call it a plug.
1: (laughs) Yeah, not right now, maybe in the future, but it is, it's a, it's a thing that like I I like doing. I, I love performance. I love thinking about performance. I love solving problems. Um, ultimately, if if I could boil down the thing I love most about building this business, co- doing private coaching, doing optimization sessions, building out courses, it's I love solving problems. And like when it as it relates to performance, there's lots of you know both macro and micro problems that are sticky and kind of tough to get to the root of. Which is like, yeah, that's just like a driving force driving force for me and just having fun and like engaging my brain and yeah, just solving problems yeah. with all that said, you know, let's talk about this Jack 10 hand here. Uh, you can, you can dive into the details. Sure.
2: So hand starts out with me in the cutoff opening Jack 10 offsuit. Um, that's, is
1: this bottom, this is like bottom of range. I assume. Yeah. This is going to be like, this is,
2: this is the bottom of my 10 X offsuit, uh, offsuit 10 X range for sure. Um, Not opening anything worse than this. It gets folded around to the big blind, who uh, I believe is a reg who flats, flop queen of spades, five of spades, eight of clubs. Uh, The big blind checks. Um, I think, you know, C bet strategy can go lots of different ways here, especially uh, with the gutter and like two overs to middle pair. I think betting a third here is fine with your range. I think this hand can also uh, go in like your big bet category. Sometimes if you're playing a big bet and check strategy, I decide to check, uh, this one. I think if I'm like, really want to get like into the details, I think like Jack 10 with a spade, I would certainly, um, throw into the big bet category, but, um, just the naked gutter. I decided to check
1: back. I just realized, like, I just yawned while you were talking the YouTube audience just sees, sees me yawning while you're <laughs> talking about your C betting strategy for what it's worth. I just spent a whole day watching the Braves play in the sun. So I need a little bit of a nap. Um, if you're watching me on YouTube, you can tell, like, I don't get in the sun very much. It's pretty clear. <laughs> um, not that your commentary on your C bet strategy is boring. Uh, but... check, check on the flop is pretty boring. <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll, I'll let you have a, have one yawn.
1: <laughs> All right. So you go check, check. The turn is a ten of diamonds. So you turn second pair. Mm-hmm. Now keep going on what happens here on the turn.
2: So big blind uh, goes with a pretty big bet, thirty-five dollars into fifty. No way. I'm folding Jack ten here. Uh, we could have the best hand if we don't. We have outs to improve. Just lots and lots of bluffs for the big blind to to, to pull from on on this two torn two tone kind of very straighty board. So. Uh, Don't think I'm going to do anything else but call with uh, 10 and a jack.
1: And I mean, you need 29% equity to continue, and there's just not a world where you don't have 29% with your hand against their range. So Mm -hmm. pretty slam dunk, easy mode call. And now you river the two-pair. Yeah. The final board is queen of spades, five of spades, eight of clubs, 10 of diamonds, jack of diamonds. So you river two-pair. And villain does this little ditty, a little bit of an overbet here. Yeah, like a hundred, slight, 125%. slight overbet, hundred twenty five percent. They bet one forty eight into one twenty one, and now I guess tell me, tell me your line of thinking here that leads to this thing <laughs> that you do. Okay,
2: so when <laughs> <laughs> I'm when really tired,
1: overbet. so it's gonna be. I don't know if I can get a handle on this one.
2: Oh. When the villain when villain over bets here i'm assuming his range is going to be uh just straights like 9x for value um and a handful of bluffs like brick spades or you know six seven um those sorts of hands uh for his bluffs i thought that maybe i could get him to fold 9x here if i just jammed given that i know for a fact that like he never has ace king and I can certainly have ace king uh taking this line. I think ace king is for sure a hand that I would check back on the flop, and you know calling the bet on the turn once I have like two overs and nut gutter is pretty reasonable as well. You know when I'm jamming here, like I'm I'm, I'm clearly like trying to like fold out a nine some of the time. I don't know how often that happens. I, I'm like really praying he doesn't have king nine. That's like a big, that's, like kind of a concern because like I assume he just never ever folds king nine. So yeah, I I just ripped it here with the two pair trying to. Get him to fold everything, basically.
1: I have no earthly idea about this rip. Like, this is, like, just... I don't think you... I mean, maybe you do fold a nine. I don't know. Like, (laughs) I I, I know, like, you have ace-king. They don't have ace-king. And so that's sort of what leads to this jam. And it's kind of hard to find some, like, natural bluffs the one downside i think is like in these kind of situations the the bluffs that villain can find almost always have like a pair so like king queen or king 10 maybe even king jack like mm-hmm. those hands would be like pretty reasonable jams here for you yeah. and i think that like as villains get more sophisticated in ranging players and adding in some like pairs that they're turning into bluffs that you just end up getting called by 9x quite often and so that's my concern but the reality is i don't know if villain is (laughs) i don't know if villain what villain's thinking about i don't know if they recognize that those are the the bluffs that you'll have to pull from and I, i the one thing that i guess the biggest reservation that I have about doing it is, like, it's so obvious that you have Ace-King and they don't, and, like, it just makes it very easy for you to over-bluff here. Just like, yeah, I got Ace-King and you don't, so suck it, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, like, one, one like, thing that you, you mentioned that I, I actually really like is that, like, bluffing with hands, like, King-10 and King-Jack here are probably better. Like, you know, like I said, I'm, like, pretty concerned that he's going to have King-9 here some of the time, which, which you know, never, ever folds um, so maybe like actually having a King myself is a much better bluff than uh, having the Jack and the 10, which don't really block anything relevant.
1: I would say so. Yeah. Um, and I think two pairs just going to win here. Some like facing yeah, yeah. this so polarized over, bet.
2: that's kind of the theme of this, uh, the theme of this week, I guess is like sort of like unnecessary bluffs. Like you, you don't have to like rip it. You can call here sometimes and, and you know, expect to win. Um, you don't have to turn this into a bluff, but yeah, so I, I again, like I said earlier, like I, I'm just trying to fold out everything like all his bluffs, all his hopefully his 9x. And, and I don't know, do we I have to jam to better than 9x? No, I, I, we, I don't know if we have to jam, but I just, you know, I want him to know <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm repping here. Like, I don't want him to be confused that, like, hey, you know, maybe I'm chopping with a nine that is, you know, raising here for value. Like, chopping. I don't know, man. I, I have ace king. Like,
1: I mean, trying to fold out a nine is like best of luck. I, I don't know that, like, in the next hand that we're about to dive into, like, you end up doing something with your intent to not be folding out top pair because nobody folds top pair. <laughs> <laughs> and here we're trying to fold out a straight. I don't know. I don't know what to think about this one, John. Like I said, I was, I've been in the sun all day like i'm sort of biased because i know the result because we went through this hand beforehand and the result makes you look like a fucking houdini actually
2: i don't know when i saw the result i didn't know that i i didn't you know i actually didn't know how to feel like i don't know <laughs> if that made me feel better or worse to be
1: honest well like well we'll just show the the viewer and tell the listener the result so villain folds i don't know did they tank
2: yeah, he actually tanked all the way down, like used time bank. And I actually <laughs> thought he had a nine. I actually thought he had a nine. And I was like, oh, like he's thinking about it with a nine. Like, please, please fold. Yeah. And then, so- like, I went back and looked at the hand waiter and he had pocket eights for a set, which overbet the river on a four liner. I don't know if you, you want to try to explain that one for. I think for me that and actually, the that
1: actually, <laughs> I think it makes sense as an exploit. I think that like what they're trying to do is like basically polarize in in this spot and get called by like some top pair or some two pair. Mm-hmm. And by overbetting also sort of dissuade um, bluffing. I think that like the overbet's probably the least bluffed size uh-huh. that people like raise against, right? So like yeah. basically villains are going to under raise versus the overbet. So like they're they can be pretty confident that like when you do raise that they have a straight. And so that makes the fold somewhat easy. The fact that they tank down it <laughs> went in their dime bank before yeah. folding makes me believe that they had some second thoughts there about your jam. Um and it also makes me believe that like a nine of nine. <laughs> 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 so like the absolute result of the hand, somehow you turn your two pair into a bluff when Villain had exactly a set, which makes you look like the wizard of all wizards. But I don't okay. think they're folding a nine.
2: Yeah, it was like not my intent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. So like, yeah, that's that's what I said. Like when I went back and looked at a hand looked at the hand and like, you know, obviously I remembered that this guy tanked down. I was like, wow, I guess I'm never folding out a nine if this guy like thought that that long with the set.
1: I actually don't think your I don't think his bet it, or her bet is like bad on the river. I I kind of like it as an exploit. I think it's it's kind of reasonable. Um yeah.
2: what's interesting too is that had the big blind picked like a slightly more normal value size like three quarters or two thirds I would have been way too scared to go for the jam but because the villain like went so polar I was like oh nice I'm just gonna repolarize even more and like <laughs> I get to do this because you went so polar but if they went like a normal size I'd be like too scared to raise thinking like oh the nine's just gonna call every single time. Um,
1: Real problem here too is like if villains doing this with like sets and then straights, like you're getting eaten alive in this spot like they're crushing you if they fold their sets and then call with their straights
2: yeah but maybe i raise smaller with my straights and <laughs> they call with their sets
1: why do you raise smaller with your straights
2: i don't know like my 9x or something so that i can now, now that i know that people like that sets <laughs> for the <this> size <laughs> like yeah. i can have a, a slightly smaller value raise like split <laughs> my sizes when i actually have straights, so i can get called by some of these hands sometimes hopefully
1: oh boy <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this hand will happen again in the near future, uh, this exact line, but I guess if it does, here's the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen. When you have a chance to represent Ace King and the other player doesn't have Ace King, you just fucking go. (laughs) Just go for it every (laughs) time. Just pile every time. (laughs) All right. With that dose of tactical wisdom on the books, we're going to go to the next hand, After the break, where John goes for it again with a pair with a little bit different results in a little bit different spot. So stick around for that.
0: The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Pre-Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com bootcamp. Available now.
3: Yeah, before boot camp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better. Jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site, kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And pre flop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step.
1: Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like?
3: Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kinda of learning what rangers should look like and what hands should be played and what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another. Kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot.
1: What was your experience like playing cards post boot camp?
3: It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always. Being behind the eight ball and and playing catch-up, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, really work together, even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome.
1: What's your sample size of winning post boot camp?
3: I think I have seventy thousand hands played by now. You know, I'm a father, and I have a job, so I'm not a a professional player by any means. That's my sample size.
1: Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. The price is $199, and your link to join is chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp one more time that's greatness.com slash bootcamp all one word or you can click through in the description box of this episode all right welcome back to this episode of tactical tuesday i was just telling john i gotta get better on my build-ups to the second half you know just stick around for hand number two it's not super Super exciting, I think that uh what John does in this hand is kind of exciting, so at least there's that right
2: yeah, it's uh, uh just I guess for the audience, Brad has very, very much disapproved of what I decided to do in this hand, much more so than the last hand where he was like, "I don't know if that's good, but this one he was just straight up like mm.
1: <laughs> I think that you know when we did coaching sessions for a while, and you said that your goal was to never have me say again to change your raise sizing based on a player, specific player profile that you're playing against. Right. And I would love it if your new goal is to like never inappropriately turn a pair into a bluff ever again. I feel like (laughs) this is a thing that like, you're always trying to like find the exception of like, when do I, I'm going to turn this pair into a bluff. I think it's good here. And I just think it's very rare that you're turning pairs into bluffs and hold them. Like, it's just a very rare thing and we need very specific circumstances to do it. And I don't think you mean it. (laughs) I I think you rarely do.
2: That's good. This one's going to be way harder to do than like just remembering to open three and a half X when there's a fish in the big wine for sure. But I'll try to keep it in mind. You, you got a pair. You got a
1: pair. Don't
2: turn right, the right. pair
1: into a bluff. You got a pair. Pairs right. are good hands.
2: Well. this one's not even that good of a pair though. Okay, so the button opens twenty five dollars. I'm in the big blind. Five of spades, four of spades. I three bet. Button calls.
1: Is this pure three bet for you with the five and a four of the spades?
2: Probably would be pure against, like, a button that I think is, like, pretty aggressive versus, like, someone, like, a button that's very, very tight. I think I would just flat the 5-4 pure, but, like, against a strong rag or someone who I think is, like, opening very, um, you know, just, like, playing very good preflop ranges or even slightly aggressive preflop ranges. Um, I'm going to be 3-betting this, yeah, pretty, pretty pure.
1: I would also be 3-betting a fish for what it's worth. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: also like stack depth is like a big part like I would not be three betting like a 30 big blind fish but like a 100 big blind fish for sure um, I would well obviously, okay, obviously. Okay. I don't oh, know man some people just like oh, well Brad said you three <laughs> bet against a fish so
1: <laughs> okay, guys, they have a hundred dollars let's just stick it in let's go with a five and a four okay so we got a five and a four the flop is ten of spades eight of diamonds five of diamonds so you have the four or five of spades you start this hand out by going one third. Tell me about your decision to bet here.
2: I'm one thirding most of my range. I think like I had a brief period um, that maybe even tactical Tuesday listeners will remember where I was like <laughs> doing some weird like size splitting um, as the pre flop three better. And I've just like totally given that up and gotten back to uh, what I like used to do. And it's like kind of my old tried and true c betting
1: strategy, which is to <laughs> range bet a third. I love these like strategic. Uh, I don't even know. They're like flirty strategic changes that you you try to make, and you're like, ah, I'm, I'm testing it out. I'm trying it out, and then you're like, fuck this.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of them, some of them stick. Like, all I need is like a few of them to stick. That one did not stick. Mostly, <laughs> not because I think it's a bad strategy, but because like I was just incapable of executing it properly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're back to one third three bet pot. John, villain calls. And this board, I guess, I assume you're going to have some checks here, right? Like, yeah, you're not, you're not see betting range.
2: I think, like, ace four of hearts, I would, I would like check on this board, just like hands just, just have like no or like very, very little hope. Um, well,
1: then, how do you defend when villain just auto stabs versus your check? Check aces. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm serious, So I, I would check Aces, sure. So, Especially with a diamond, that would be like very happy to That's check.
1: six combos, right? Like, So if you're checking like Ace-4 of Hearts, I mean, you're probably checking like Ace-3 of Hearts, Ace-Deuce of Hearts, Ace-3 of Clubs, Ace-Deuce of Clubs, Ace-4 of Clubs.
2: I, I don't think about all those, though. Okay. All ace right. Ace-4 and Ace-5 suited would be like my three-bets.
1: In, intuitively? And you can prove this to me outside of Tactical Tuesday? Uh, my intuition tells me that if you check here, you are going to be overfolding versus bets in a big way. But yeah. that's neither here nor there.
2: Yeah. No, I agree with you. That I think I probably am. But like,
1: let them figure that out, I guess. That's true. We'll let them figure it out. Oh, yeah. All right. You bet a third. They call. Yep. <clears throat> um, turn is a six of spades. So. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a five-five plus draw and a pair and a dummy straight draw. We are in business. Yep. Um, um I mean, I, I'm
2: probably checking like all my. I'm probably checking a lot uh, on this turn, actually, just in general, but definitely a five. Um, I will. uh
1: wow. yeah. you could just check range.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's what I. I think I'm like probably very happy to just check range. Um, in this spot. Um, just trying to think of hands that I would like certainly bet, like maybe like. Even like turn spades, I think I would, I would check. Um, diamonds, I would check. Yeah, uh, I I think you're right. I'm am, I am checking range here.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you check with your pair flush draw mm-hmm. gut shot, and villain bets the old third ball. Mm-hmm. So villain bets a third, and now tell me what you're thinking here.
2: Uh, so <clears throat> I was thinking that like maybe I can get like okay so. F- First of all, I guess I'll say like what my interpretation of this third pot turn uh bet and three bet pots is and it's like it's a lot of hands, almost to the point where like I would be feel comfortable saying it's like close to range um from the from the button um or for the from the in-position player. Um I would expect like lots of like all the draws to bet the size. I would expect like 10x to bet the size, um maybe even hands like pocket nines. Um hands like eight X, like eight, nine, maybe eight, seven. Um, if he has all those hands to, to bet the size as well. Uh, so I decided to turn my, like, for those reasons, I I thought like, I can get like some of those, maybe get some of those pairs that are like smaller than a 10th fold. Maybe I can get like, like the weakest tens to fold, like Jack 10. Um, and then I can get like some super, super high equity, put some like super, super high equity draws and like, kind of a, an annoying spot like a hand like Queen Jack of Diamonds or Queen Jack of Spades or you know uh, like a Jack 9 versions of those um, and some of those you know I think Villain will just call off with so like another nice part of like jamming this hand is that uh you know sometimes I can get called by
1: worse mm-hmm.
2: and folding out like Queen Jack here like 30% equity I mean I'm sort of I'm okay with that even though it's a worse hand
1: and this is all based on the assumption that Villain's betting range here on the turn
2: yeah, or close to range. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, like, like you said, like I don't know if they bet like, all, like you said before the pot. I don't know if they bet their eight x here all the time, but I wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be like surprising to me if I saw, a villain show up with eight x in the spot.
1: So what I would ask you to do if this were a coaching session, is prove it to me, that villains bet range here using, the data that you have accrued in your pool of 1K and L. That versus check, they bet one-third with range after defending versus your flop C-bet. Oh, and Are I
2: there... think I could like probably filter for that. Like, I'll just look at, like I don't know, I obviously won't do that here, but like the way I would do it is like go into PT4, look at 3-bet uh, pots where I C-bet the flop and check the turn, and then just see at what frequency the turn gets stabbed.
1: So I'm going to do something that's never been done here on Tactical Tuesday. We're going to pause the video. We'll have John run the filter and then we'll see. We'll give, we'll be able to give the listener results about this spot. So stick around. There's probably not going to be a break. We'll just splice this together, but we're going to see. we're going to prove this in the lab. Okay. We're back from our adventures in watching John try to figure out how to use poker tracker efficiently land The consensus is John doesn't have the key to that land because he can't use his book or tracker efficiently. Um. Okay,
2: we have hand-to-note though with way more data
1: than what's in my database. We do, we do. And hand-to-note does not look upon your assumption that they range bet favorably.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so we looked at hand-to-note and we found out that it's actually like 45% of the time.
1: Yeah, it depends on like the exact texture, but between forty-five and fifty yeah. percent, um, and middle pairs are a very low percentage of the overall makeup of villains' range when they do bet. And so, you are like
2: way more than fifty, man. When I check the turn, it just like it feels like I can like count on it almost.
1: <laughs> well, that's why we tried to use your database, but you couldn't figure it out. You know, I always mm. I always tell you. Hold a manager is so much easier. And you, you're like, no, you're, you're going to ride this poker tracker train until the end of time. You, <laughs> you don't want to drop the 100 bucks on hold a manager. That's fine. I, I like seeing you suffer. Um,
2: <laughs> oh, man. I was like, worth this humiliation for you. <laughs> <It was like laughs> this embarrassment on YouTube. <laughs> like, ah, gotcha. <laughs> I knew I'd get you at some point.
1: <laughs> well, I think I've advocated for it. like. Fifty times at this point, more than I've advocated for increasing your raise size. But yeah, I can't even help you on Booker Tracker because I don't even know how. Like, I have no idea how to use it. It looks like, yeah, it's not my favorite user interface. But anyway, hand to note said that basically people don't, stab
2: here with range.
1: people don't stab here with range. Which I think was my estimation was they were going to stab like sixty percent, maybe sixty five. I do think that the ignition pool likely stabs uh, more. But I don't think it's gonna be an absolute stab. I think that they are probably gonna stab sixty percent to sixty five but like they just have natural hands that check, and like middle pair is just such a natural hand to check back, especially if you have like some additional equity, like eight nine or nines um yeah, but
2: like okay, so. I guess one thing I'll say is that like when you do stab super small, like a third or even like a quarter with those sorts of hands, you can start getting called by worse.
1: You can. But like so you're you're basically value betting and eliminating the possibility of like checking back and bluff catching and also possibly under realizing your equity?
2: You know, I mean those are the risks. Those are the downsides <laughs> of the risks. Yeah.
1: But so the upside,
2: better, the, the upside the upside you is
1: get, you get you get called by like sometimes you get called by worse hands. But like bet. does that outweigh the the downside? They don't bluff the river with those worse hands yet. Yeah. yeah, but you can still value bet the river and you're not going for two bets. Yeah,
2: but those hands are not gonna call the river.
1: We don't know that.
2: Well I mean, if you have like, I don't know, if you have like King Jack here or something like two overs and the guy bets quarter plot, or like if you have like ace queen here and like two overs, like They might call, but if you bet that on the... Okay, fine. Maybe they do bluff catch, but not with like King High, I guess.
1: Are they going to call the turn with King Jack High on 10,
2: 8, 6, 5? Man, if you bet small enough, who knows what can happen.
1: (laughs) This has been so derailed. I don't know. I don't even know what to say to that that argument. Um, <laughs> basically, I would say that most people are just checking back their middle pairs to realize their equity and make it to showdown um, much more efficiently. So I okay. think that like when they do bet, they're probably betting some hands like the aforementioned king-jack that has very little equity or king-queen, maybe like an ace-jack that floats, queen-jack that floats, along with possibly some flush draws, and then... You know, top
2: pair plus. Okay, fine. Even if that's true, we can still get called by worse when when we have a five.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The problem is they don't fold their top pair plus. That's the problem. Like when we stick all the money in, when all the money goes in and they call, like we just lose shit tons of money um, because we fold out the hands that we've got a significant equity advantage against and get called by the ones we don't. Which is why, like, when you jam with a pair, the goal should be that there's a high concentration of pairs in villains' range, and they're going to fold, you know, a reasonable percentage of them.
2: Right. And so, your logic kind of is, if I can like try to restate it for myself, is that like the pairs that we're folding out here don't bet the turn, in your opinion. So, there's no point in turning pairs into bluffs because we're not folding out we're never folding, or we're almost never folding out better hands
1: correct and like okay. here's a clear example of a spot where like turning a pair into a bluff is just fine and dandy it's like if the final board is like ace king jack nine eight and you have pocket trays and villain bets the river like yeah you can raise because like you can fold out a lot of pairs and it's very hard for villain not to connect with that board in a significant way.
2: What about before the river? What do you mean? Like, would you ever turn a pair into a bluff?
1: You could. Before I, I think river? this is like, this, this would be the reasonable example of when like, if villain has a capped range, they've got a large concentration of like middling pair type hands. And you've got a hand that just like has, you know, it, it's a pair. But has like almost zero showdown equity, so it's effectively not a pair.
2: gotcha, okay, okay,
1: otherwise, like maybe like in a super deep spot where you're trying to fold out like a high concentration of like overpayers or something like that, and you're running like a big multi street bluff like maybe then it's okay, but anyway, that's kind of beyond the scope i think of the of this tactical tuesday right. um and so I guess we i alluded to it i have four did my foreshadowing before we hit the jump, which, you know, whatever. What happened? It was like,
2: this is like the quickest call of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's like a million. I was like, man, did you just have like the call, call any box text, <laughs> Like, just in case this might happen? Uh, I think like the nine of diamonds hit the river before I could even process that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that fast.
1: Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, what it, they have like a hand that is very obvious. So they they know what their path is to bet call. And that's probably why they chose a small sizing because it's like, yeah. yeah, we're bet calling and we're going to bet small so that we can increase the number of hands that jam so that Villain has more uh, natural or unnatural bluffs in this case. And we just get a snap.
3: Yeah.
2: Oh, um, so yeah, one one instance where I turned pairs into a bluff I guess and it and it worked out okay and one instance where it just exploded in my face and <laughs> gave away a lot of extra money. Um okay just like hypothetically then like so you you're saying like here in this situation you you check call this 120 on the turn? Yeah. Okay. And then presumably on the nine of diamonds river you're, you're folding a lot.
1: So. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you, really... could, you could turn your five into a bluff on the nine of diamonds river. <laughs> I think that's a safe one to say that like you are never going to win at this point in time. Uh. Oh. <laughs> if you, if you were to check raise the river or donk jam the river. Okay. I guess like it's acceptable to turn your hand into a bluff because you're not beating anything reasonable.
2: Right. Right. Okay. All I don't right.
1: know if you want to talk about like what
2: uh, so I did run the spot like uh, in Pio just to see like what Pio like doing with my hand and the overwhelming uh, but like definitely like the favorite option for Pio was just to jam the turn just open jam the turn so I mean that's turning five into a bluff presumably and if I did check the turn Pio actually did like the check jam I'm just trying to stand up for myself a little bit here
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're calling on Pio you're bringing Pio right? All right, all right. I'm but just... in, in that
2: case, like villain is like in Pio's case, like villain was you know folding hands like Jack Ten suited half the time, um, folding all their eight X pocket sevens, pocket nines. That Pio did have villain stabbing the turn quite frequently with. So, you know, some of those hands that like like you said that maybe like humans don't bet in real life, Pio has the button betting on the turn in theory and and folding to this jam.
1: Yeah, this was like a coaching session uh, a little while back when we talked about you had like broken down a spot and like basically as you start like removing the middle hands mm-hmm. from Pio, like they stop stabbing all of like the middle pair type hands, yeah. like turning your hand into a bluff goes way down in value because right, right. the way that it works is like the value of jamming is folding out those middling strength type hands. And if they're not yeah. betting them, then that's a significant problem and you shouldn't be jamming. Oh, I was just hoping that these guys, you know, bet those hands often enough. But so Hopefully <laughs> they looked at the
2: sim too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: you could have proved it if you could have got your poker tracker up, but you couldn't. Um, so we just go with my data.
2: I'd also like to say that this result does not necessarily prove my theory wrong, right? Like if they called with nines or sevens or something <laughs> like that would be terrible. But like, you know, when they have the ten that they're never supposed to fold, then like whatever, uh, that's not one of the hands that I'm trying to fold out. So
1: yeah, it um, doesn't prove your theory wrong. It doesn't prove it right. I mean, yeah, yeah, they if they show nines, then that actually proves your theory more right than them showing ace ten.
2: Well, okay, yeah. If they if they fold nines, then I see that right. Like it would prove it right. But if they call with nines, then it's like then
1: I have even bigger problems <laughs> than, <laughs> than, yeah, than yeah. what I have right now. I mean, like. You have to think about, yeah. Anyway, we've broken it down the incentives of betting nines, and like sometimes you can get called by worse. And yeah, I get that. Um, so we'll leave it, we'll let this lie for now. We might revisit this spot in the future, bringing in your backup plan of you're Pio call me with
2: four or five. If you're planning on calling the 120 with a four or five, shouldn't you bet your nines and your 8x and your pocket sevens?
1: Well, this is like a one part of our range, <laughs> like this is like a a very small part of our range here that we're uh, checking everything, right? Okay, okay. Sure. Um, I'll let I'll, I'll the... By the way, we need 20% equity to Bye. continue here on the turn, just for what it's worth. Like, another easy way to think about this is like, do you have 20% equity facing this one-third bet?
2: Yes, for sure.
1: Okay. So like, we have a play that makes money. And now, do we know this jam makes money? No. <laughs> no. So we're... Passing up money but for definite Money for maybe money. Yeah. yeah, for unknown. And my thoughts are not very likely money. <laughs> maybe some anti- <laughs> anti-money anti here. Um.
2: <laughs> all, right. all right. All right. Fine, fine, fine.
1: All right. And uh, before we shut down shop on this Tactical Tuesday, we w- we probably should visit this, revisit this. Maybe we'll have a PIO episode where we, we look into the depths, the innards of PIO. Um, and if we do that, then... My God, the podcast listener, you got to get on YouTube and subscribe so that you can see us <laughs> doing this because we can't describe everything going on in Pio. Yeah. Um, and also, like before we end, just freenuffle.com giving away Nuffle for signing up to Bovada. If you want to f- find out how you go about that, just freenuffle.com. And now it's time to end this week's episode of Tactical Tuesday. Thank you very much for listening. Hit that subscribe button wherever you're viewing this. And uh, we will catch you next time. John, give us a good sign-off. See you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community book a coaching session or dive into the latest data driven poker courses follow the show on twitter at cpgpodcast